Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, you in Psalm 27, you say, seek my face. And our hearts, Lord, say, your face, Lord, do we seek. We pray, Lord, that we would take the invitation that you've given us here. There's so much joy in your presence. There's so many warm invitations you've given us through your word. Um, This particular book helps us so much to draw near to you that we just pray, Lord, that we would take full advantage of, of this invite to be with you, to be near you, to know you, not just to know about you, but to know you. Lord, we pray for everyone here, Lord, that our hearts would just be completely open to you. Lord, we pray that as we hear the gospel this morning, that you would make our hearts good soil, that we wouldn't be like the, the stony soil that doesn't have a way for the gospel to take root in, or, or the, the pavement where it doesn't even get a start, or, or the soil in which the thorns and the cares of this world choke it out. But Lord, we pray that our hearts would be good soil for the word, that your gospel would grow in our hearts and bear tons and tons of fruit, that our hearts would be transformed by what we see here in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to start the Psalms. We ended the covenant series last week. I was talking about the the new covenant promises that you have been promised. If you're in Jesus, you've been promised that you're clean in his sight, that you have a new heart that beats for Jesus and it's alive to him and can know him. And you've been promised that his spirit dwells within you to connect you to God. And so I ended that message with a charge to really know God, not just to know about God, not to just hold him at arm's length and kind of know him from afar, know him through other people, but to really know him for yourself. God's been abundantly clear that he wants to draw us in and close to him. And what we want to do in this series in the Psalms is is respond to that invitation and actually come near to him. And the Psalms are a great place to do that because the Psalms, as we're going to see this morning, the Psalms show us God, the Psalms show us how to draw near to God, and the Psalms show us Christ. And What I'm going to do this morning is an intro message. For those of you who follow along and you're underlining and stuff like that, you'll be very frustrated because I'm going to be all over the place. So in 40 minutes, I'll probably mention 50 Psalms, something like that. So if you're real type A and you feel like you have to write things down, just relax. I will email you detailed notes with everything I say. Every single thing I say will be in the notes. And you can just enjoy. But what you might want to do is jot down a Psalm or two that you want to look at later. So I mentioned Psalm 50 and you put 50 down and just make a few little notes here and there so that you can go back over it later. But I want you to just enjoy what we have here in the Psalms. Guys, if we're going to really know God in 2022, we need to know the real God. We need to know what he's really like. Uh, what Josh said about the catechism question this morning is perfect for what I was about to say, which is that we need to know God as he really is, not as how we imagine him. Ever since the fall, we've been tempted to imagine God, to you know, have our own ideas about who God is and just assume they're right, which would be really weird if your guesses about who God were, were right. Wouldn't that be odd? You know, but we assume that our intuitions are right. Voltaire, no friend of the gospel, said this. He said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since, right? That we try to make him in our own image. And you hear it with people all the time that say things like, well, the, the kind of God I believe in would never do that. Or, I don't believe in a God like that. Or, I could never believe in a God that would do this. Right? What are we doing? We're saying that the God who 
the true God who exists, real person, somehow has to fit our imagination. But guys, a God that you imagined is an imaginary God. I mean, by definition, right? A God you imagine is an imaginary God, and we don't want to try to have a relationship with a person of our own imaginations. We want to have a relationship with the real God, okay? If I were to sing to my wife, Van Morrison's brown-eyed girl, that would not show that I knew her very well, okay? She has blue eyes. This is not a good start. And a lot of times, theologically, we do something very similar. You know, we think we, we're going to have a, a brown-eyed God, you know? We have views of how he is instead of looking at his word and finding out who he really is. So what is God like? Well, the Psalms are actually a full theology of what God is like. The Psalms show us that God is omnipresent. God's omnipresence means that he doesn't have any spatial dimensions or size, and that he's at every single location in space equally with all of his being. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 139 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall uphold me. So the Psalms tell us that God is omnipresent. The Psalms also tell us that God is omniscient. God's omniscience means that he knows all things actual and possible in one simple act, meaning that there's no processing time. Not like Dr. Strange when he was kind of going through and seeing how all these different things could, could work together. God knows all things possible and actual in one simple act. He just knows them. He just knows everything without thinking about it. And we can see that in Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you search me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. We can also see from the Psalms that God is sovereign. God's sovereignty means that he rules over the entire universe as king, and his will is the ultimate reason that every single thing happens. That's what it means by him being sovereign. Psalm 47 says, For God is the king of all the earth, sing praise with the psalm, God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The psalms also show us that God is independent. God's independence means that he has no needs whatsoever. We have tons of needs. He has no needs whatsoever. It says in Psalm 50, every beast of the field is mine, God says. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. He has no needs. The Psalms show us that he's eternal. God's eternality means that he has no beginning or end. This is a being with no beginning, no end, and he sees every point of time equally vividly. Okay? It's as if he has all of time stretched out before him and sees it all at once. Psalm 90 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting you are God. For a thousand years in your sight are as yesterday when it passes as a watch in the night. Isn't that amazing? The Psalms show us that God is free. God's freedom means that nothing can hinder God from doing his holy will. He's free to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. It says in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Uh, the Psalms show us that God is wise. God's wisdom means that he chooses the best possible ends and the best possible path to those ends. That's what it means to be completely wise. Psalm 104 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The Psalms show us that God is holy. Holiness means that he's set apart. Not only is God set apart from sin, 
But God's holiness means that he is different and more excellent than anything in the creation. He's set apart not just from sin, but he's more excellent and different than anything he has made. Psalm 99 says, Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. The Psalms show us that God is just and righteous. God's righteousness and justice means that God always does what's right, and he is the ultimate standard of what is right. There isn't a standard outside of him by which he has to obey. He himself is the standard of what is right. He is a judge who who judges all sin. He is a king over the world. Psalm 9 says this, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. And what's kind of interesting, and you'll notice this when you read the Psalms, is that God's judgment is not seen as a negative thing. In our culture, people go like, oh, you know, I don't know if I believe in a God that would judge people. In the Psalms, God's judgment is good news. They're constantly complaining about the injustice and the sin and the suffering in the world, and they're complaining for God to come and solve it. And so God's coming to judge and set the world right is actually good news. That'd probably be good for us to hear, right? Probably be good for us to, like the Psalms say, rejoice in God's judgment. But what's interesting is the psalmists also know that God's judgment is a problem for them. Because the psalmists know that they're sinners, the ones who wrote these psalms. They know they're sinners, and they know that they would be judged along with the world, and so they seek God's mercy. Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So what he's saying, like, if you're keeping track, I'm in trouble. But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. The Psalms show us that God is merciful, gracious, and loving. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Psalms show us that God is good. God's goodness means that all, everything God does is good and worthy of our full approval. Okay? So if you ever read something that God's doing and you don't give it full approval, who's wrong? The problem's here, right? Because God is good. Everything he does is worthy of approval. Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a God that you are to taste and see that he's good. Have you done that? Do you taste and see that the Lord is good? The Psalms show us that God is perfect and beautiful. God's perfection means that there's nothing lacking in him that could make him better. That's what it means to be perfect. That you couldn't go like, he's really good, but if I could just add this, he'd really be perfect. He doesn't have that thing. Everything, he doesn't lack anything that can make him better. And his beauty is very similar. It's this, the, he is the sum of every desirable attribute, every desirable quality. Psalm 27 says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, and I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. The Psalms show us that God is blessed. You've heard this several times, blessed be the Lord, and all this talk about God being blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? It means that God's blessedness means that he's the happiest of all beings. You think of God that way? He's the happiest of all beings. And in his presence is where all the happiness is. Psalm 16 says, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hands are pleasures forevermore. That's why we want to be near him. Because he's beautiful, he's perfect, he's good, he's right, and he is the source of all everlasting happiness. And so the Psalms, guys, the Psalms are a singing theology, (laughs) and a theology that makes you want to sing, right? 
But maybe that list was a little too uh, left brain for you, okay? Maybe it was a little too left brain. The Psalms actually are great for right brain people too, artistic type people. The Psalms have all kinds of poetic ways of speaking about God. The Psalms call God a fountain because he gives life. The Psalms call God a rock because we can trust in him and he's solid. He's a stronghold because we can take safety in him. Psalm 84 says he's a burning sun. He's a fortress. He's a, he's a shield. He's our light. He's our hiding place. He's our shepherd. Under his wings, he shades us and protects us. It even says in Psalm 18 that he comes to our rescue riding on a cherubim. Super cool. Sounds like a Western, right? So he comes to our rescue riding on a cherubim. How cool is that? I didn't know you could ride him. <laughs> Guys, there's so, <laughs> there's so much here in the Psalms. The bottom line is, when you look at what the Psalms say about who God is, God is the most interesting and desirable person you could possibly know. Isn't that amazing? He is the most desirable and interesting person you could possibly know. And so that's the first thing the Psalms tell us, is that how desirable it is. But the Psalms help us in a really cool way too, because the Psalms show us how to draw near to him. Because here's God, and he's all these things, and he's wonderful, and I want to know him, but I'm kind of over here. The Psalms show us how to draw near to God. Because guys, in Christ, God is abundantly ready and willing for you to come and know and enjoy him. The hindrance is not with God, okay? The hindrance is not with God. We're sinners. He sent his son to die for us, to make a way to him. We were dead to him. He made us alive to him. We have no strength in ourselves to like grab hold of him. He puts his spirit in us so we can do this. God's, God's making it abundantly clear. Like, I want you here, right? There's a hindrance in us though, guys, right? We're so often distracted and discouraged and so like emotionally unavailable to him. Do you feel that? Distracted and discouraged and you feel unavailable to him. It's hard for us a lot of times to, to pray and worship him. But the Psalms help us do this because the Psalms, guys, are both a song book, because these were their worship songs, and a prayer book. And the Psalms invite us to start with prayer and worship honestly, where we're at. Not where we think we should be, but where we're actually at. You know, you often hear Christians say that, that they, they need to put on a church face. You guys know what church faces are? Can you all do yours now? Just do your church face. So I guess the church face, that's a great church face. Then. That was an a, a, a plus church face. I guess what they mean by church face is that we have to, when we're together and we're in worship, we have to look happy and like we don't have any problems, which is apparently the church face, which would be by definition pretty fake, right? And I don't know who told you you need to put on a church face. I certainly didn't. And the psalmists definitely did not. Okay, the psalms do not say you have to have a church face. The psalms, guys, what they do is, here's God, here's us, in whatever situation we are, and the psalms provide us an on-ramp, right, to prayer and worship. They meet us where we're at, and they provide an on-ramp to prayer and worship. Did you guys hate it when you're, like, driving down the freeway, and you miss your exit, and you take the next one, and you're just like, I'll go this way and come back, but there's no on-ramp. The worst, right? No on-ramp to come back where you were supposed to be. That's how we can feel a lot of times about prayer and worship. You know, that we're in a situation, an emotional state, or going through something, that there's just no on-ramp to prayer. There's no on-ramp to worship. And so we're kind of, kind of stuck outside the party. Everyone else seems to be able to worship and engage with God, but not me because of the place I'm stuck in, the, the emotions I'm stuck in, the situation I'm stuck in. We mistakenly think, guys, that the only on-ramp is happy and trouble-free. And so we end up just kind of on some surface roads in a bad neighborhood, you know, waiting till things get better, and then we'll on-ramp to him, right? 
But the Psalms guys meet us where we're at. There, every emotion and every situation is here in the Psalms to relate to you. Absolutely for sure. Let me start with this one. Are you sad? You know, are you in a place where you have just incredible sadness and you don't feel like you can really come to worship and come to prayer to the Lord? Psalm 6 is a great on-ramp for you. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of my grief. You say, well, I'm too depressed. I'm too sad. I'm too grieving to to worship. Really? Like, there's an on-ramp for you there. There's a great one in Psalm 88. Psalm 88 ends in verse 18, basically saying, darkness is my only friend. And then it ends there. That's the end of the psalm. A lot of them, they, they, they catch you where you're at and they bring you to a place of more joy, right? That one doesn't. That one's to say, like, sometimes you're just going to be sad for a long time. Isn't that amazing? There's a whole group of, of psalms in here that are called psalms of lament. So this is their worship music, right? Ancient Israel. Their worship music. And there's a whole category of lament songs. These are sad songs. These are sad worship songs, okay? So what they would do, and this is a really merciful thing to people that are suffering, you come together to worship, and the worship leader goes, okay, we're going to do a psalm of lament for all of you out there that are suffering, sad, depressed, and all the rest of us are going to sing the sad song with you, right? So the worship leader gets up and goes, okay, guys, let's do this nice and sad, everyone. Don't want to see any hands up. Don't want to see any smiles. We're going to do this the way it's meant to be done, sad, right? Isn't that awesome? What a cool, emotionally healthy situation this is where there would be all these on-ramps for sadness. About afraid, Psalm 55, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horrors overwhelm me. And I say, oh, if I just had wings of a dove, I'd fly away from all this and be at rest. Fear, great on-ramp. You're totally afraid? That'd be a great psalm to start in. That's the on-ramp for you for prayer and worship. Are you angry? Lots of good angry psalms. We're going to get to them. These are the ones that bother you guys a lot, like Psalm 58. Oh, God, break the teeth in their mouths. Okay? That's angry. Okay? And I know you're thinking like, you know, you guys will be doing your devotional time. You read that, and you're like, I don't think you should talk like that. Right? You're like, I don't think that's right. Well, you know, that's not your on-ramp today. Okay? And I hope it never is. But if you're in a place like that, it'd be a lot better to pray that than to go out and do it, right? <laughs> so there's angry psalms, like start there. You know, you angry? There's a psalm for you. Are you grieving? Psalm 31. Be gracious to me, O Lord. I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. You ever been there where you're so grieving your body's falling apart? For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails. What an awesome on-ramp for people that are, that are sad. How about disappointed? Or doubting. A lot of people think that like if they have doubts or disappointments with the Lord and stuff like that, that somehow they're outside the party. Not in the Psalms. The Psalms have tons of Psalms that are doubting. There's tons of Psalms that sound like Psalm 6. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? You ever pray that? How long is this going to go on? How long? Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? right? That's not a church face, right? Are you feeling that way? Are you in a place of life right now where you're like, how long is this going to go on? And why are you hiding? 
you know? Or Psalm 22, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer. And by night and I find no rest. The psalmist's like, I call you every day. You never pick up and you never return my text. You know, where are you? I don't feel you out there. You know, when you're struggling with doubt, guys, and all the great saints have struggled with doubt. That's what's interesting. There's a lot of talk about doubt these days. And Jude says what we should do with people that doubt. It says, have mercy on those who are doubting. And this is a book that's awesome for people that are doubting. It's not like, like well, I'm doubting, so what am I going to do with this? This is for people that don't doubt. It's like, no, read the doubting Psalms. Start there. Pray those. Those are prayers. I know they sound like pretty irreverent and they sound pretty hardcore, but if that's where you're at, the Lord would want you to be honest with him. So when we struggle with doubt, like all the great saints do, the Psalms invite us to bring our doubts in prayer. Don't, don't doubt alone. Don't go find a bunch of people that will encourage your doubts. Pray your doubts in the word. Are you guilty or convicted? Psalm 32 says what it feels like to feel convicted and guilty because of sin. It says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. You guys felt like that? Unrepentant sin, unconfessed sin. It just sucks all your energy and makes you feel terrible. Um, if you're in that place this morning, and some of you certainly are, some of you in this room certainly are in a place where you have sin that you have not confessed to the Lord, you've not moved on from, you've just kind of kind of decided to harbor it. Maybe you've prayed and been like, ah, oh, maybe I should confess this now. And then you say, nah, I don't want to confess it now. Remember Psalm 139? He knows your thoughts. Like, you're saying that right in front of him. And you're like, maybe I should confess it now. He's like, I'm hearing all this, right? If you're in a place, guys, where you have sin that you have not repented of and you're wasting away because of it, pray. go to Psalm 51. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned and does what is evil in your sight. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Isn't that amazing? You could just sit down, confess your specific sin to him with, that, with Psalm 51, and you could know yourself forgiven in Christ. How about, have you been rejected or betrayed? You know, we're going to do one, I think. We'll do one psalm. So we're going to do specific psalms. We should do a betrayal one, shouldn't we? You ever heard a good sermon on betrayal? Right? There's tons of psalms about betrayal. Psalm uh, 3, David's own kid is trying to kill him. Psalm 88 says, my beloved and my friend have shunned me. Is that you? Is that where you're at? There's an on-ramp for you for this. You're like, I had no idea. There it is. Psalm 27, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will let me in. Psalm 41, even my closest friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. It's a place, it's an on-ramp to, to prayer and worship. But there are also on-ramps that are happy, okay? Not all the on-ramps are emo, okay? You might be in a place where you're pretty happy and doing well. And I think sometimes in church environments, when we stress that you don't have to have a church face, you know, we say, hey, how you doing? They're like, I'm doing great. And you're like, seriously, how you doing? You know, but some people are doing well, right? And so there's on-ramps for people that are doing well. Are you happy? Psalm 4. You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound, you know? Or are you thankful? Psalm 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will count all your wondrous deeds. Are you amazed at the works of God? Psalm 8. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, 
what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Or are you feeling just greatly comforted and confident in God's presence? Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isn't it awesome? That the Lord has an on-ramp to prayer and worship wherever we're at. We never have to feel like we're somehow not able to connect with the Lord. And I would actually recommend, I mean, the Psalms are basically in the middle of your Bible, right? That's probably the place you need to start. Unless you're like totally raring to go in prayer and reading the Word, you should probably start in the Psalms. There's a, there's a place for you to connect in each one of these. Don Whitney says this. He says, God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's a good, mmm, right? God, all together now. Um, God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. Mmm. And all God's people say, no. But the psalms are great, guys. The psalms are great at weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And so if you kind of go through the psalms and you, you're just kind of working your way right through them, you're going to see an on-ramp to prayer and worship from wherever you're at. And, and so the Psalms lead us into meditation on how good God is, and then give us a ramp to, from where we are to prayer and worship. And a great way to know all these kind of on-ramps would be to read through the whole book of Psalms. And I think some of you guys tried a Bible reading plan, and that was rough. Maybe we do one book this time, you know? <laughs> Start there. But it would be great to just read through all the Psalms. And if you do four a day, right, and then you do Psalm 119 by itself, you basically in a month, you go through the whole book of Psalms. And it would be very helpful to kind of label them. You know, you get one, you go like, angry psalm, you know? Uh, envious psalm. There's one for envy, too. We should do that one. 73. It's great. And label them so that you know where all those on-ramps are. Or to change the metaphor, it's good to know where the exits are on the plane before the crash, right? And so if you know where these exits are for each need that you might have, whether it's sadness or anger or anxiety or whatever to know where those exits are and then you could you know help others to the exit and you could put your mask on before you put it on the other person we could keep going with this but basically knowing where those are is helpful so read through them and label them but i'll tell you even if you're like i don't know where any of these are i can almost guarantee you that if no matter what you're dealing with if you'd read five one of them is going to have it you're going to be like no not really that one no, that's not really me and then you'd be like oh this is perfect you know, the Psalms are built that way. It's, they're laid out for us to, to worship the Lord. In fact, the whole book of Psalms is a highway of worship. And so people are coming on the highway from anger and envy and some happy people joined and some thankful people and all that into this big highway. And it's laid out in five books. You may have never noticed this, but all of a sudden you'll be reading along and it's say book two, book three. So they're grouped into books. And there's a general flow here. So the first two books, Psalm 1 through 72, are about David's life as king and all of that. The next section, book three, is about the mostly about the exile. And so the, God's people have been hauled off to Babylon. There's no kings in David's line. They've been promised there would always be a king from David's line reigning on the throne. And so they're like, is God going to fulfill his promise of a Davidic king and a kingdom? And then books four and five, the last two come in, and they answer yes. Yahweh is going to restore his people to the land. Um, a new David is going to come as king, who's Jesus Christ. He will forgive their sins. He will restore the kingdom. Book four actually starts with the song of Moses to remind God's people that he's going to send like a new Moses to lead his people out of bondage into a greater promised land. And then the very last book, book five, 
is very much focused on praise and worship. And all of it has praise and worship, but at the end, it's kind of rapid fire. In fact, the last five are like, bam, bam, bam. It's kind of like the end of a fireworks show, right? At the end, it's like, praise, 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 praise. Pa, 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 pa. And that's the way it ends. And so that's the whole goal of the book is to bring you to worship. The Psalms also, one last thing I want to talk about is the Psalms show us Jesus. They point to the one who specifically will fulfill all of God's covenant promises. The Psalms show us Jesus. And they show us Jesus, if you're new to the Bible, this is way before Jesus was born. Okay, So we're talking centuries before he was born. This book points to Jesus. And it does so in two ways. It, they're sung about Jesus, but they were also, in his life, sung by Jesus. Okay, um, Jesus is, if you look at the first Psalm, Jesus is the true Psalm 1 man. Jesus is the one who ultimately delighted in the law of the Lord, right? And meditated on his law day and night. Jesus is the one who was consumed with zeal for God's house, Psalm 69. He is the only one who could perfectly plead his righteousness. You'll sometimes see in the Psalms, and maybe be uncomfortable with it, where people are like, you know, Lord, deliver me because I'm righteous, because of my right standing, because I've done everything correctly and stuff. The, the, the one who could say that to the ultimate is Jesus Christ. He could say things like, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he's rewarded me. Jesus is the one that can fully plead his own righteousness. And Jesus is the one that was constantly being hunted down and people were plotting against him. A lot of the Psalms have that, like, hey, my enemies are doing this. Lord, deliver me, right? Tons of Psalms like that. Those, Jesus prayed those prayers, right? He knew that evil men were zeroing in on him, on him and plotting against him, and he was praying for God's protection. Um, Jesus is the ultimate uh, forsaken one in Psalm 22. You know, Psalm 22 is a famous passage that points forward to the cross. It talks about you know, evildoers encircling. David. It's a Psalm of David. Evildoers encircling him and piercing his hands and feet. And this is one of those places where you, you have this song that David wrote about his life, and it makes you think like, David's kind of exaggerating. You know, you feel that way with a few Psalms, that he kind of seems like he's exaggerating his problems, his sufferings. He's not exaggerating. What he's doing is he goes from talking about his life to speaking prophetically about the sufferings of Christ to come. You guys ever notice that in the Psalms? That they seem to start sometimes with David's life and then escalate to something way bigger than could possibly be David. Those are the points where they're starting to speak also of Jesus. And it's cool because God arranged David's life in such a way that a lot of his life events were, were, were foreshadowing of life events of Jesus. The betrayal, the suffering, the, the hardships. And Psalm 22 is just an amazing example of this. Uh, amazing example of Jesus being the ultimate forsaken one. It says this in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it goes on to describe how Jesus would be mocked on the cross. And they said things like, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. And the psalm goes on to talk about evildoers encircling them and actually piercing his hands and his feet and casting lots for his clothes. I mean, it's incredible the amount of depth. We'll probably do this one on Good Friday, I think, Psalm 22. Cast lots for his clothes. On the cross, Jesus, when he dies, he actually quotes Psalm 31. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And, and just like Psalm 34 says, not one of his bones was broken. Like all these things, guys, all these events of the cross were choreographed in detail and written down in the Psalms centuries before he came. It's amazing. 
Jesus was the good shepherd, Psalm 23, who laid down his life for the sheep. And God raised him from the dead. Psalm 16 foretells that God would not let his holy one see corruption or decay in the grave, but that he would raise him from the dead. That's Psalm 16. Jesus is the true king in Psalm 24 that has ascended to his throne. After being raised, he has ascended to his throne. He's been welcomed into the heavenly Jerusalem. And now, like Psalm 2 says, he's reigning and he's bringing his kingdom into the world in spite of his enemy's resistance. And that famous psalm where it says, why do the nations rage and plot in vain? You know, I have set my king on his throne. Jesus is that king. But you know what's really cool? I mean, that was really cool. You know what else is cool? Is the psalms don't just give us a prophetic window into what Jesus' life would be and the things he would do. The psalms also give us a window into Jesus' own heart. Because these are the, the songs and the psalms that he prayed and sung. You know, while the Gospels tell us what Jesus did, the Psalms show us what Jesus felt and what he thought. Because the Psalms, guys, were the songs of Jesus' life. These are the songs that Jesus knew by heart. These are the songs that he sung. These are the prayers he prayed as he suffered. The Psalms are like a soundtrack of Jesus' life. These are the prayers he prayed. These are the songs he sang. And so this book, the Psalms, when you hold it, when you read it, you're both listening to Jesus's mixtape. Anybody ever do This has been a while. Okay, you had a mixtape, and you had a mixtape, and you had a mixtape. A mixtape was like you would have an actual tape. It's a cassette. It's got a little thing in it, little turny things. I'm not describing this well. We need a picture. But anyway, you'd put a bunch of songs you liked, and you would put it on a tape. You'd give it to a friend. You'd give it to a girl you liked or something like that to say, hey, these are the songs I like. And it was a very intimate way of knowing kind of about that person. It's it's like a Spotify playlist, but it was on a plastic thing. Okay. But um, these are Jesus's mixtape. These are the songs of his life, and they're also his prayer journal. So if you are to find any artifact, any archaeological artifact you could possibly find to really know who Jesus was and like to know his very heart, I would think finding his mixtape in his prayer journal would be quite a score. And that's what you have here in the Psalms. This is the best historical artifact you could possibly have to know him. And then you have the spirit to make it alive to you. So when you dwell on the Psalms, you're dwelling right near the heart of Jesus. You're hearing the meditations of his soul. Okay? These songs were the songs in his heart. These were the things on his lips. And we know that because when they pierced him on the cross, he bled the Psalms. He spoke the Psalms. That's how he responded to being crucified. This is an amazing access to God. And so the Psalms... Don't just show us the events of Jesus' life. They show us his very heart so that we can really know him. I mean, talk about really knowing God and not just knowing about him. The Psalms are that. So they show us how desirable God is. They give us an on-ramp to get to him. And then they show us Christ. And I would just say, let's take this beautiful invitation to know Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are our shepherd. We shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. You lead us into paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And Lord, you've prepared a table for us, even this Lord's table that we're about to take as we take the Lord's Supper. You prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You have anointed our head with oil. 
our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in your house forever. We thank you, Lord, for this amazing gift of the book of Psalms, and we just pray that we would immerse ourselves in it and know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.